welcome to Lake Hills Church. I am Terry Cadwell, uh, pastor of life groups at Lake Hills Church. And Mac asked me this a couple weeks ago. He said, Terry, would you continue our carry on series? And I want you to look at Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. So as Stephanie just sang, that's what we're going to talk about today. Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. But before we get there, I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. So let's pray. Lord God, Father, you are God and we're not. And Lord, I thank you for the things that happen in our lives that remind us that we are not you. Uh, Lord, but we need you. And Father, I thank you for the privilege, privilege that you've given me to share your incredible truth and your word uh, this morning. And I don't want to do anything to get in the way of that. So, Lord, I just ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit so that everything that is said is about you. And, Lord, that it reflects on you. Uh, God, don't let anything in me get in your way. Uh, Father, I ask you also that you would open up our eyes, open up our minds of all of us to be able to connect with the truth that you've given us from your word. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You know, that song was about Joshua's battle, but have you think, think, think for just a second... How many of our everyday life circumstances we refer to as battles? I mean, there can be a sports event, two sports teams on the field. We refer to it as a battle. When there's a court case coming up, it's referred to as a battle, a courtroom type battle. Sometimes even family things. I was in the office this week. I went around to different people and I said, when I use the word battle, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And one lady said marriage. And I thought, yeah, yeah, that's right. Even marriage sometimes is a battle. And I got to thinking about that in, in, in my own family. And I can remember times years ago when our kids were still at home. And there were times when... If someone came up to me and said, Terry, what's the first word that comes to battle? Excuse me, that comes to mind when I use, when you hear the word battle? I would have said mealtime because that was a battle for a while at our house. We refer, we use the word battle to refer to battling with depression. Uh, we use the word battle when we're talking about battling with some kind of a addiction or, or battling with loneliness. There's all sorts of ways we use the word battle. I've heard men and women say when they go to work, they're going, they're going to the battle. Uh, I've heard, I've heard other people talk about battling with their weight. So battle, that's a part of our vocabulary. And what we're referring to there is, is each one of us has a vision, a plan, a good plan for what we want life to look like. Whether it has to do with health, whether it has to do with meal times or, or, or marriage or our career. We have this vision, a good vision for the future, but then something invariably gets in the way and tries to keep us from getting there. That's the battle. And we all know that we're fighting those battles. Did you know that God also has good plans for your life? In Jeremiah chapter 29, a verse that is a favorite of a lot of people around here, God says, I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, and they're plans for good. God has good plans, but... 
Then Jesus comes along later and he says in John 16, verse 33, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. So even God's good plans for us don't happen without a fight. Now, if you have your Bibles, take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 5. If you're looking at your Bible on an app, uh, by the way, we're, we're going to be using the NLT, the New Living Translation. Actually, that's the one Mac usually uses on Sunday morning. Had a gentleman this last week say, I, I downloaded the, an app to watch my Bible, to, to look at my Bible when I'm in church. And he says, what I have on my app is not the same thing that Mac has up on the board. And, and so I said, yeah, he's probably using the NLT. So that's what, that's what we're going to be using today. It's what Mac uses most of the time also. Also, I'm going to ask you, take this bulletin, this carry-on bulletin, and open it up to the inside to the connect card. Okay, now please do this. Don't get scared. I'm not going to ask you to fill it out. I promise. Okay, so, but I am going to refer to things on here related to our battles and how things that are actually written on this connect card that you see every single Sunday, how they relate to the battles that you and I are fighting on a daily basis. So Joshua chapter 5 and a connect card. Joshua and Israel, as they looked forward to the good plans that they had, that, that they wanted their lives to look like, their good plans, what they wanted to look like, really wasn't all that different from the good plans that you and I have for us that we want our lives to look like. They wanted a home where they could raise their kids to be successful and prosperous in freedom and security. That was their dream. That was their good plan. And isn't that the dream that most of us have? Something very much like that. A home where we can raise our kids to be successful and prosperous and security and freedom. But it wasn't going to happen without a fight. And the first thing standing in their way of, of the good plans that they had for their lives was a tiny little place called Jericho. Now, I say tiny. Jericho really was tiny. The whole city was less than 10 acres. Folks, we have malls bigger than that. And that was the whole city, less than 10 acres. But Jericho was surrounded by some big, thick walls. And Joshua and Israel, they didn't have a battering ram in the whole camp. They didn't have any catapults. They probably didn't even have any uh, of those things that you throw up over the wall, you know, and you pull yourself up, whatever. What are those things called? Grappling hooks. They probably, they've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. They didn't have all of the things that they needed in order to get past the walls. So unless those walls came a-tumbling down, then they're not going to be able to take Jericho. And Joshua knew this because the spies had come and told Joshua. Remember, Joshua sent out some spies. The spies came back and said, Joshua, they're scared of us over there. But we can't find a way past the walls. Now, if they can't find a way past the walls, then that means that just a few people standing up on the walls looking down at the army of Israel down here they could defend Jericho with nothing more than bows and arrows. In fact, if they ran out of arrows, they could use rocks. 
If they ran out of rocks, they could use pots. If they ran out of pots, they could throw the kitchen sink. Folks, a kitchen sink thrown from the top of the wall is a deadly weapon. So, so the people, I mean, Israel, they were hopeless if they couldn't get past the walls. Joshua knew this. So, so when the spies came and said, Joshua, we can't figure out a way to get past the walls. Well, Joshua, well, he wanted to go check it out for himself. He was a soldier. He had led men into battle. He was hoping maybe he could see something that they didn't see. So Joshua left the camp, and he goes walking toward Jericho. And just about the time he gets to where he can have a really good look at the walls over here, and he's thinking, whoa, I don't see any way past those walls either. He looks down, and there's a man standing right there with his sword drawn. It's a big, ugly-looking sword pointed right at Joshua. Now, I want you to notice what Joshua did because Joshua chapter 5 tells us that Joshua marched right up to this guy, looked at him holding the sword, and here's what he said. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13. Joshua went up to him and he demanded, are you friend or foe? Now, you know, folks, I'm really impressed that Joshua demanded that he tell, that this guy tell Joshua whether he was a friend or an enemy. Joshua was about my age. Actually, he was a little older. He was 70 years old when this confrontation occurred. I'm 67. Okay, so... Theoretically, I start to say I'm better able to take on this guy than Joshua, but no, I'm not going to go there, okay? Because I, I would not have demanded anything. But theoretically, you know, the, the, reason, the reason armies don't send old guys like me and Joshua into battle with young guys like this guy is because our best sword fighting's behind us. So we don't do that anymore. We don't go there. But evidently Joshua, he demanded from this guy, tell me, are you my friend or are you my enemy? So evidently Joshua had a whole lot more confidence in his ability with a sword than I have in any ability I may have ever had with a sword. Although quite frankly, I've never had any ability with a sword. But Joshua, he probably, he probably did. He was pretty confident. So look what this guy says in verse 14. Joshua asked him, he says, are you my friend or my foe? Are you a friend or foe? And, he said, and this guy replied, neither one. Now let's catch that. He said, I'm not your enemy, but I'm not your friend. Whoa. I'm not your enemy. I'm not against you. But I haven't decided yet whether I'm for you. And then he goes on, and he identifies, he says, who who he is. He said, in verse 14, I am the commander of the Lord's army. In other words, the armies of the living God, Joshua, that fill the skies around you, You can't see them. But even one of those guys can wipe out a whole city all by himself. In fact, 
Joshua, even just one of those guys destroyed the nation of Egypt, the place you left behind 40 years ago. Just one of those guys did that. And I have a whole army of them. And they're out there just waiting for me to tell them whose side we're on. Now, folks, I hear that. I don't know what dingling decided that an angel was a little baby in a diaper with wings. But whoever did that had no earthly idea what an angel was. I mean, these, these are very, very, very powerful spiritual beings, and they are very, very real. So real that sometimes they can even be seen like this guy is telling Joshua. They're filling the skies. They are big. They are bad. And they are just waiting for me to tell them what to do. Now, this point, this was a pivotal point for Joshua and actually for all of Israel. The next 40 years are going to be decided by what Joshua does in response to this man with a sword. 40 years of either winning battles or losing battles is going to depend on what Joshua does next. Well, Joshua did something really, really smart right here. He fell flat on his face. He didn't draw his sword. If he had his sword, he dropped it. He fell flat on his face, and look at what he said in verse 14. He said, I am at your command. What do you want your servant to do? Now, Joshua had seen lots and lots of battles. He had seen battles lost, and he had seen battles won. But all of the battles that were won were won because God was in the battle with them. I'm almost as old as Joshua was. And I've seen lots of battles. I've seen battles lost. And I've seen battles won. But without exception, all of the battles I've seen won were won because God was in the battle also. So because of that, whenever somebody comes to me with a battle... And they want help. And we sit down together and they tell me about their battle, whatever it is. One of the first things I need to know is where is God in this battle that you're talking about? You see, Christ followers, a lot of times we assume that because we're Christ followers, God is on our side. Now, there's a sense in which that's true. Because we are Christ followers, God is in our corner of the ring. But just because I'm a Christ follower doesn't mean I can do whatever I want to do and God is going to support me and make it work out okay. Joshua knew that also. I mean, Joshua was God's appointed leader 
of God's chosen people. If anybody had the right to believe that God was on their side, it would have been Joshua. But Joshua knew that just because he was God's appointed leader of God's chosen people, that didn't mean that he could do anything he wanted to do, and God was going to make it work out okay. And so when Joshua found out who this was, that this was the commander of the Lord's, or, Lord's army, and he fell down on his feet, face, that was the smartest thing he could have done. Because when this guy said, I am not your friend, but I am not your enemy. In fact, I haven't decided yet. You see, the implied question here is, Joshua... Do you want this to be God's fight? Or do you want to take Jericho all by yourself? And when Joshua caught that, he fell down on his face and he said, I am at your command. What do you want me to do? Now this is a really, really Really big deal, folks. You see, there aren't but two criteria for involving God in our battle. The criteria of surrender and obedience. That's it. There's not a long list. There's only two. Two criteria. If we want God involved in our battle, surrender and obey. That's it. So when Joshua said, I am at your command, what do you want me to do? He had taken that first step. He had performed, the, he, 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 had, he had included the first criteria for getting God involved in his battle. And that was surrender. Now, we have one of our Lake Hills people, the downtown church, the downtown campus. He's going through some big battles. And I want us to take a few minutes and I want us to hear what he has to say about surrendering to God in some really tough battles. My name is Mitch Dooley. I was raised uh, in the Catholic faith. We went to church faithfully Sunday mornings from as long as I can remember. But I don't remember ever getting to know God. It was more of an obligation. It was something we did. After high school, I went right up the road to the University of California, Santa Barbara. And then in 1989, I decided to put a backpack on and go through Eastern Europe, where I met a tall, blonde girl that would later become my wife. And we were married in 1991. Emma was born in 1995, and Hannah was born in 1998. In uh, 2001, my family, we moved to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, where I was uh, working for a law firm. And as I was working there, um, I began to drink a little too heavily. Pretty soon when alcohol wasn't doing the trick anymore, um, I learned that stronger drugs could, uh, could provide that escape for just a little while and I was losing jobs and losing money and losing sleep and losing my family and decided that I had to make a complete change. My relationship with God during my addiction was one of a soldier in a foxhole. I kept up the appearances of going to church 
because uh, I didn't want people to know how out of control my life had become. But God was very far away and I just sought Him when I thought He could do something uh, for me. I had been clean and sober for just a few months and uh, was attending a, a small church in Phoenix. Even though I had been a, what I considered a Christian all my life, there was a particularly powerful sermon uh, given by a pastor. And it was the first time that I had ever really decided, you know what, I need to raise my hand. My life has to belong to God and not to me. I can't continue to uh, try to manage my life with, without God being the center of it. One day I was just driving downtown and I stumbled across the banner out in front of Lake Hills Church downtown at Brazos Hall. Immediately upon walking in, I was met by Mike Vallotton and Jana, who just made me feel so comfortable right away. And then they had this incredible worship band, which is what I came from in Phoenix too, and I thought, okay, we're off to a good start. I'd been going to Lake Hills Church downtown about three weeks and I was diagnosed with stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a type of cancer. Well, after I started chemotherapy, I became pretty sick, and Jana Valentin started an internet tree where people could sign up from Lake Hills Church to bring me food, and total strangers um, brought me more food than I could possibly eat. I didn't have anybody staying with me here, so, my family arranged to have one person, either a family member or a friend, to stay with me during the course of my chemotherapy. I made them all come to church with me, and every one of them, when we would leave Brazos Hall, would say, that was awesome. I said, I know, that's, that's why I keep coming back. Honestly, there was times when, well, my family and friends didn't think I was gonna make it, and there was several times when I didn't want to. I don't like to admit it, but there was times when I would pray that you know, God just, you know, tonight you can bring me home and be okay. And then I kind of prepared myself for what I thought was coming. And I started getting better. But all I can do is um, try to do the best I can do on a day-by-day -day basis. Um, I'd love to get up in the morning and ask God to keep me sober and clean, and I go to bed at night, and I thank Him for doing it for that day, and I take one day at a time, and I'll let tomorrow worry about itself. Did you hear the surrender in Mitch? With his addiction at a church in Arizona, he said, I realized that I needed God. I couldn't live this life and manage my life without God in the center. It couldn't just be me. God needed to be in the center. That was the addiction. And then the surrender for the battle with cancer, when he said, I tried to prepare myself for what I really thought was coming. Surrender. Now see, Mitch's battles are not over. Mitch said, I get up in the morning and I, and I pray I'm looking for one more day of being sober. It's a battle. And then the battle with cancer is not over. He said he's getting better, but the cancer a few weeks ago is back. So Mitch is still facing two huge battles. A battle with addiction and a battle with cancer. Neither one of them's over. 
He's still in the midst of this big battle. But you know what? Mitch has taken that first step to bring God into his battle, to get God involved. And that's surrender. Mitch surrendered. Now for Joshua, when Joshua encountered this guy that was the commander of the Lord's army, he surrendered. He said, I am at your command. Now tell me, what do you want me to do? Now look at what God told him to do in Joshua chapter 6, beginning in verse 3. Here's what, here's what Joshua said. Here's what I want you to do, Joshua. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Then down toward the end of verse 4, he says, On the seventh day, you are to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. When you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horns, then have all the people shout as loud as they can. Now, what kind of a crazy battle plan is that? I mean, good night, folks. Think about this. Marching around this dinky little city, blowing your horns like you're in the Rose Parade or something. And then, and, and then, and then when you have to do this for six days, walking around for six days, then you get to day number seven and you get to walk around it a bunch of times. And then right at the end, you, the ram, the whole, everybody is not saying anything. The horns are blowing. You're still marching. And then the ram's horns, they blow again and everybody stops and looks at the walls and go, boo. Okay. Now what is that supposed to accomplish? But that was what obedience, that's what he asked them to do. It didn't make sense. But you know what? They did it anyhow. Look in verse 9. It says, some of the armed men marched in front of the priest with the horns, excuse me, in front of the priest with the horns, and some behind the ark with the priest continually blowing the horns. They did it. That's that second criteria for getting God involved in our, our battle. You remember the first criteria was surrender? Okay, Joshua did that. He fell on his face. He says, I'm at your command. Now, what do you want me to do? Joshua surrendered. The second criteria is obedience. And they did it. They marched around this dinky little city, blowing their horns, and, then, and, and just waiting for the chance to shout at the walls. They did it. They obeyed. You see, that's the second criteria for getting God involved in our battle. Obedience, surrender, and then obedience. Now, take your Connect card, because every day you come in this, this building, every Sunday you come in this building, and you pick up one of these Connect cards, you may not have any idea what you're holding in your hand. Okay, but what you're holding in your hand is actually a big part of doing surrender and obedience. In your Connect card, you see about halfway down, there's two, the top two little boxes there. Say, one of them has, I committed my life to Christ. The second one says, I'm renewing my commitment to Christ. Both those little boxes, the commit and the recommit, that involves some kind of surrender. Now, what happens is, you are out there Monday through Friday and Saturday, and you're involved in a battle. And somewhere in there, because of the battle... You come to church. You're looking for something to hold on to, something that may help you with the battle. 
Something that will actually let you keep moving toward life as you really want it to look like. But this battle, something's gotten in the way. So, so you sit here and, and Mac teaches from God's word and he brings it right down. and He makes it so simple even your kids can understand it. Week after week after week, he connects your battles with God's word. And then he gives you an opportunity to bring God into your battle and to pray. And ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and take over, surrender. Every Sunday he does that. And so you listen to God, you, li- you listen to Mac, and it clicks. And so you do what he says, you pray. And you, you pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and, and to, to, to take over and to, and to fight your battle. And then, and then if you're really serious about that, when Mac asks you to, you, you hold up your hand, okay? You raise your hand. And then if you're really serious, then you actually fill out one of these things, one of these connect cards. And you check that box. I committed my life to Christ, or I recommitted my life to Christ. You fill that out. Now, folks, this is very, very important, what you just did. When you prayed, and you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, when you prayed, you began an eternal relationship with God that can never, ever, ever be taken away from you. A relationship with God in which he guarantees that the very last battle, the battle with death, you're going to win. In fact, just this last week on uh, Thursday, uh, Patsy's sister, Wanda, she's dying. She has leukemia. The doctors gave her three or four days, and we were over there on Thursday, and uh, I was talking with Wanda and, and I said, Wanda, how does it feel to know that you are about to see the Lord? What does that feel like? And she teared up and she said, Terry, it is so incredibly exciting. He said, I don't, she said, I don't have the words to tell you. This is so exciting to know that I'm about to see the one who died for me. And then she started crying even more and she said, I don't know why he did that, but I'm really looking forward to see him. You see, when you pray and ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and to be your boss, that begins a relationship, an eternal relationship with God that guarantees you will win that last battle and nobody can take that guarantee from you. That's the surrender. That's the first step. But in addition to guaranteeing that you're going to win that last battle, it's also an invitation for God to get involved in the battles you're fighting right now. Okay, so you invite God. Get involved in your battle. You surrender. But then what? You know, for Joshua, the next step, the obedience step, was marching around this dinky little city, blowing the horn, toot, 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 and then when you get to the end, boo, at the walls. Okay, that was Joshua's obedience. Okay, but what about you? 
you're not marching or you're not your Jericho doesn't look the same as Joshua's. So what's obedience? What look like for you? What if your what if your battle is at work? Okay, does that mean if you does that mean you march around your office? Is that what that means? You know, that's kind of funny, but you know what? I, there were three ladies, a church I pastored in Oregon. There were three ladies who had declared war on me. And, uh, and I mean, they were serious about it. And, uh, and one day, one morning, I was, I'd just taken my kids to school, and I happened to be driving by the church. I was driving by the church, and I saw these three ladies out here marching around the church. Okay, and I thought, you've got to be kidding me. And so I pulled in my car into the bank parking lot, which was right across the street, and I kind of got back to where they couldn't. And I sit there and watch them, and they just kept, they were a pretty good-sized church, actually. And, and, and I'd watch, and they'd disappear around one corner. And then a few minutes later, here they come around the other corner. And they were just marching, and I thought, yeah, somebody in that group must have read Joshua. <laughs> and they thought that if they just marched around the church, they didn't have any horns. Okay, but if they marched around the church, that my walls were going to fall down. But my walls didn't fall down. Because obedience for these, these, these ladies were missing it when it came to obedience. Because their obedience wasn't the same as Joshua's. How about, how about if, you're, if your battle is with depression? Okay, does that mean you get a horn and blow it at your medicine cabinet? Okay, or, or, or what, if, what, what if your battle's at home, okay, with, with your wife or with your kids? Does that mean when you come home, you just shout a little louder? I promise you, that's not a good way to approach that battle. Okay, so, so how do we find out what, what God wants us to do in our battle so we can actually obey Him? We've surrendered... We said, Jesus, I want you to, in my life to be my boss. Okay, now the next part is obedience. But if it's not walking around the, hall, around the house, if it's not blowing horns, if it's not shouting at people, then, then what does that obedience look like? And where do we go to find out what it is that God wants us to do so we can obey it? Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, there is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So, you won't find what obedience looks like by searching your mind. Because Proverbs 14 says that what you think in your mind is the right thing to do is not the right thing to do. So you can sit and meditate on your navel. You can do all kinds of things, looking into your brain, finding what is the right thing, the right thing, the right thing. You're not going to find it there. It's not there. In fact, God says in his word, he says, my ways are so much higher above yours. My thoughts are so much higher above yours. You can't figure them out. So what are we supposed to do? Well, God answers that. In 1 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is inspired by God so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. We find what obedience looks like in fighting our battles in God's word, in the Bible. That's what he gave it to us for, so we would know how to fight our battles. So if 
you and I, if we want to fight the battle the way God wants us to fight the battle, then just like Joshua, Joshua got it from God's mouth. We get it from God's word, just like Joshua. So you come in here on a Sunday morning, okay, and, 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 and Mac teaches and you connect your battle and you want Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. And so you pray and then, and then, and, and then you're really serious and you hold up your hand when Mac says, hold up your hand, just like Mitch did. You hold up your hand, okay, but then you're really serious and so you fill out a card with your name on it, legibly, and, and contact information that we can actually read. And then you're really serious, so not only do you fill out the card, you give it to somebody. Maybe at the blue tent outside. You know what's going to happen with this card? I'm going to call you. I promise. I'm not going to sell it to somebody. You don't have to worry about looking at your phone and 800 numbers calling because of what's on this card. You're not going to get extra emails from people you don't know because of what's on this card. You're going to get a phone call from me. And I'm going to ask you, can we sit down sometime? I want to talk to you about the next steps in your relationship with God. Real easy. I want to just sit down with you and talk about your next steps in this relationship with Jesus Christ. Because what I want to do is I want to sit down, I'm going to give you a Bible and we're going to, from the Bible that I give you, we're going to look and we're going to find out what your next steps of obedience look like. And then I'm going to try really hard to convince you that you need to get involved in either a Bible study, men's or women's Bible study, or a life group. And the reason I'm going to try really hard to convince you to do that is because in that group of men or women or couples, it's in that group that you're going to get the kind of support that you need to fight those battles, just like Mitch said. It was, he was part of this downtown group, this downtown Lake Hills Church group, and from them they had phone, I mean, they, they, they had food trees and all kinds of things to, to help him and support him during this really rough battle he's going through. But that's not all. It's in these life groups and in the Bible studies. That's where you're going to find out what obedience looks like. Because in those Bible studies and those life groups, you're going to look at God's Word and you're going to take your battles, the real battles that you're fighting day in and day out, and finding out what does God's Word say about you fighting those particular battles. Connecting them together so that then you can obey. So that part, as a church... We are really trying to help you do both of these parts of winning this battle. The surrender as well as the obedience. We're committed to help you make that happen so you can win these fights. And folks, it makes a world of difference when God gets involved in your battles. In Joshua chapter 6, verse 20, look what happened when they obeyed. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horns, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly, the walls of Jericho collapsed. Folks, Stephanie sung about Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and he did. But the walls fell because God was involved in the battle of Jericho. 
And God was involved in the battle for Jericho because Joshua surrendered and then he obeyed. You know, one of the most amazing victories of life-type battles that I have ever seen in my 40-something years of ministry, I saw at a church where we were in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, Debbie, who was the one in the battle, she was eight months pregnant when she showed up for the first time at uh, First Baptist Church Lakewood in Tacoma, Washington. The only reason she came to church was her life was totally falling apart. Uh, she was eight months pregnant. She and her husband, Ted, were best friends with another couple that lived in their apartment complex, and their names were Bob and Carol. Well, several months into this best friend's relationship, her husband, Ted, and Bob's wife, Carol, decided to have an affair. When Debbie discovered what was going on, she confronted her husband, Ted, and, uh, and Ted's attitude was, so what? I mean, from his perspective, Debbie was really overreacting to this. And uh, so that was the battle that Debbie was into when she came to our church there in Washington. Well, that morning, that first morning there, uh, when she heard about Jesus... She prayed and she asked Jesus Christ to take over her life and, and become her Lord. And she took a card, filled out a card very similar to our Connect card, and she checked on there. She checked she had just become a Christ follower. When I first met, first time with Debbie, she told me this story about uh, what was going on, about the battle she was fighting in her life. And after she told me the story... I said, Debbie, what does Bob, now remember Bob is Carol's husband. I said, what does Bob think about this? And, and Debbie, Debbie said, Bob's going nuts. She said, I, I think he's going to do something really stupid. Well, she was right because he really did. A few weeks after this first conversation with Debbie, uh, Bob wanting to get Carol's, his wife's attention, wanting to get her attention, he slid his wrist up. He did a really good job of it. And, uh, and, and his intent was he would slit his wrists up really good and then, uh, and then he was, would call Ted's apartment because he thought that Carol was at Ted's apartment. And so he slit his wrists up really good. Then he got on the phone and he calls Ted's apartment, but Carol wasn't there. And so he hung up. Now what is he supposed to do? This was for Carol's benefit, and Carol's not anywhere around. And just about time he's trying to figure out what to do, his mom called. Okay, so he thinks maybe this is back before caller ID. So he didn't know who was on the phone. So he, and actually this was something, y'all may have never seen one of these. It was a phone with a cord on the end of it. Uh, so he, he actually picked up the phone with the cord on the end of it. And he said, hello, and it was his mom. Well, Bob did not want his mom to know what he had done. He didn't want her to worry. And uh, so, and she was a real talker. And so she went on and on and on about everything that was going on in the family. And, and Bob is standing here with blood pooling on the floor. And, and, uh, and, and things are not going real well for Bob at this point. And, and, uh, and so finally his mom said goodbye and he hung up the phone. And now he's, he's not thinking very clearly and uh, trying to figure out what to do. So instead of calling 911 like he should have done, he looked on the kitchen counter 
and there was my business card. First Baptist Church Lakewood, Tacoma, Washington, Terry Cadwell. And so he dials that number. It's a Sunday afternoon. This was back in the days of Sunday night church. And it was, it was uh, he called and, some, and, and he said, I need to speak to Terry. This is an emergency. Somebody came and found me and said, there's a fellow on the phone. His name, said his name's Bobby. He said it's an emergency. It was a real emergency. I got on the phone and, and Bob told me what he had done. And I thought, oh, shoot, what in the world am I supposed to do with this? And, and I got somebody's attention, and I says, tell some, go find John. Get John in here now. John's one of the other pastors. John came in. He knew about what was going on with, with, with Bob and Carol and Ted and Debbie. And I covered up the phone, and I told him what was happening. I said, call 911. And so I asked Bob, well, what's your address? And so Bob gave me his address. So John's on the other phone talking to 911, giving them Bob's address. And then, uh, and so now, now we do have emergency medical people on the way, but I need to keep Bob talking the whole, and so I'm keeping Bob talking. And so I would pray a while with Bob, and then I didn't want to pray too long because I didn't want him to go to sleep on me. And uh, so I prayed short and then would talk some more and ask him questions, and he kept talking. And then finally, I hear this, and Bob said, what is that? And I said, that's firemen at your front door, and they're going to break it in if you don't get over there and open the door for him. So Bob, he hit right at this point, he's sitting down on the floor in the kitchen. He manages to get himself up. He walks into the front door, opens the door. There, sure enough, there's a whole team of firemen, emergency people, standing right there at his door. He collapses, and the next time he wakes up, he's in the emergency room at the hospital, which was where I, I came to see him later, all bandaged up. So, yeah, Bob wasn't taking this really well. He was going to do something really stupid. So, Debbie, here's Debbie, this little baby Christian. And she's a brand new baby Christian facing the biggest battle of her life. And, uh, and I said, okay, Debbie, what do you want to do? And she said, she shocked me. I was expecting her to say, I want to take a baseball bat to my husband because I would have been glad to go find her a bat. He was a real <laughs> jerk. And... Uh, and, but it, she didn't say that. She said, I want to do whatever I have to do for God to save my marriage. That was the surrender. And so because she said that, I said, okay. I got my Bible. We turned it over to 1 Peter chapter 3 where there's some very specific instructions about what a Christian, a Christ-following wife is supposed to do if they're married to a husband who is not a Christ-follower. And so Debbie left my office with the intent of putting that into practice. And for the next period of time, Debbie went home to be the godly woman that it talks about in 1 Peter chapter 3. Not because Ted deserved being married to a godly woman, because he didn't. She went home to be a godly woman because that's what God said she needed to do if she wanted him to save her marriage to get involved in the battle with her. And that's what she wanted. So she surrendered and then she obeyed. You know, not all battle stories have happy endings, but this one did. Less than a year later, Ted and Bob and Carol, they were all baptized. Debbie's surrender and obedience didn't just save her marriage. 
it saved two marriages and three more people through her surrender and her obedience entered into an eternal life-changing relationship with God. Several weeks after everybody was baptized, Debbie called and said, Terry, I need to talk with you. And uh, so she came in the next day. She sat down. The very first thing she said was, Terry, I'm having a lot of trouble being intimate with Ted. Well, I could certainly understand that. I wasn't a counselor. I'm not a counselor. So I didn't, wasn't really sure what to tell her. But in my mind, a verse of scripture popped through my mind. Actually, we have it on this, uh, this cornerstone, this stone right out here in in our lobby, and it's a verse in Ephesians chapter 3, and it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And so I said, Debbie, let's try something. When you leave here today, I want you to go home and I want you to get the house nice and, when, and uh, plan on tonight getting your, when you get your little girl down to bed. She said, fix yourself up real. I said, fix yourself up real nice and then pray like crazy and ask God to love Ted through you. Ask God to show Ted how much he loves him through you. You try that. Let's see what happens. I had no earthly idea what was going to happen. But the next morning, I got to the office and I barely set my stuff down until the phone was ringing and Secretary got on the phone and says, Debbie's on the phone again. So I picked it up and I said, hi, Debbie. And the very first words out of her mouth was, it worked. (laughs) Incredible. Absolutely incredible. Now, let me ask you, what is your Jericho? What is it? Whatever it is, where is God in your battle? You see, God wants to get involved in your battle. And he will. He gets there when you surrender and when you obey. When you surrender, that determines him getting there. But your obedience, your obedience determines how much he's going to be involved. Surrender and obey. And right now, whatever your battle is, I just want to invite you. Bring God into your battle with you. So it's not just you, it's God fighting your battles with you. Now in just a moment, I want to give you an opportunity to do that surrender part. The obedience comes later, but right now the surrender part. In just a moment, I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads. And if you're ready to bring God into your battle with you right now, then I'm going to invite you to pray. Really simple. It's not some, not a bunch of words. God's looking at your heart, but you need to say something. Okay? Just say, Jesus, come into my life and be my boss. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Now come into my life and be my boss and fight this battle for me. Would you bow your heads? If that's your desire, to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, to be your Lord, your boss, and to fight this battle with you, then just ask him. Just say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. 
Take me and do with me whatever you want to do with me. You are my Lord. That's it. Ask Jesus Christ, Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. That's all you have to say. And if you want to use different words, that's fine. It needs to be your heart. That's what God's looking at. And your words are just telling God what's in your heart. Call on Jesus by name to come into your life and be your Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my Lord. And then say, thank you. That's it. Thank you. Now, if you just prayed that prayer and you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life to be your Lord and your boss, then I'm going to ask you to, to do something. Do a, that is, do what Mitch did. Do what Mac asked you to do on Sunday mornings. Raise your hand. Raise your hand up high. Now, this is kind of like, and just leave it up there. It's kind of like saying, God, here I am. God, this is me. God, pay attention to me right now. I just asked Jesus Christ, your son, to come in and be my Lord. Lord, here I am. Hold your hand up. It's a statement of your, a demonstration of your faith that you're serious about this. And you want Jesus Christ to take your life and be the boss and fight this battle. Just hold your hand up there right before the Lord. Now we have a tradition around here and our tradition is that when you put your hand down we put ours together so we want to do that and I want to thank you